All right. Uh, well, thanks very much, Jack, from uh, Toon Under for joining me today. Uh, we're going to talk about Newcastle and the, and the upcoming game and um, a bit about your podcast as well. Jack, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, nice to be here. A little bit of a time difference, but not too bad. Not too bad. We're used to that in Australia now. Time, this yeah. is a good time difference compared to game game day. So, um, yeah. so Jack, um, can you give us a bit of background about uh, Toon Under and how you guys got started and how it's all been going? Yeah, so uh, the takeover happened, obviously, Newcastle takeover, which is almost a year ago now. It was October 2021. And then that created a huge surge of excitement among Newcastle supporters. Um, I had, I, I've been in Australia for four years, so I was a season ticket holder before, uh, for most of the time before I came to Australia. A big Newcastle fan. And then I was chatting with people on Twitter a little bit, just Newcastle fans in Australia at various different times. And then someone, I can't even remember which of us it was, had the idea to start a podcast and set up this Twitter uh, message group sort of thing, which I thought was like a piss take, to be honest. I was like, what's what's going on? But it kind of snowballed quite rapidly after that. And then by the 23rd of November, I think our first podcast was, We'd, we'd had a, there was six of us that had set it up. Um, three of us, I think, are British expats and then the rest are Australian boys. And we've got another Aussie in now as well. Um, so that was how it started, really. And we've been going ever since. We do, we do YouTube videos as well as the audio podcasts. Um, and it's, yeah, that was, that's how it started. It's been a pretty uh, interesting 12 months for Newcastle fans, pretty exciting um and here we are now so yeah it's good to good to uh, chat to other fans who go through the same thing we do of getting up in the middle of the night and uh trying to get back to sleep after you've conceded a last minute equalizer and all that sort of stuff <laughs> it's be pretty hard going at times but that's the the life of a football support in australia yeah absolutely and uh, it's basically the same reason as to why we set up a podcast you know there's some really good fulham podcasts out there but uh, I don't think anyone really understands what it's like staying up all night, giving up your Saturday nights because you want to watch Fulham or Newcastle. Yeah. Um, it's it's a different world, um, but we're just as passionate. And uh, I had a listen to your last podcast as well. It's a, it's a great pod. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And it's great to see guys getting together, especially on Twitter, just like Mm. randomly messaging each other saying let's just do it and start it and so how many in your team now is it six seven uh we've got seven now yeah so there was six of us originally and then we we brought in a summer a summer transfer uh keegan <laughs> who's whose actual name is keegan his dad's keegan, from correct. his dad's from um near newcastle he his dad emigrated to geelong uh 30 years ago or something like that and awesome. then, yeah, he's he's named his son Keegan. So as soon as Ke- Keegan got in touch and was chatting, that was that that was that sold straight away. He was straight in. Yeah, that's a good transfer. And <laughs> yeah. you guys are based sort of all over Australia as well, aren't you? There's a few yeah. of you up in Queensland. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in Brisbane, and there's two other uh, two of the other boys are in Brisbane as well. One of them is up uh, far north Queensland. He's been in Cairns. He's soon going to Mackay. Yeah, and nice. then the other three are all in Victoria. So you've got one in um, uh, Ballarat and Keegan's Geelong. And then one of the others is around Melbourne area as well. So, and as we know, Australia is a pretty big country. So uh, that's yep. <laughs> quite a big, quite a big spread, even though we're all down the East Coast at the moment still. 
but I saw you guys managed to all get together. Was that last weekend or the weekend before? Yeah, yeah. So the, the Aussie Mags, which is a group, it's not nothing to do with us, but we'll kind of um, chat to them. And uh, they had a meetup in Sydney, which was really good. So there was about between 80 and 100 Newcastle wow. supporters uh, met up in Sydney for the weekend and watched the one of the games in Cheers Bar, which is the place that the um, Newcastle supporters go and watch the games in Sydney. So, yeah, like this has all happened, like I said before about the takeover. That's just happened because of the takeover. There's the enthusiasm mm. there, you know. But beforehand, it, was a, it wasn't it was a particularly um, exciting club to support in some ways. Uh, you'll get fans that come to us and say, well, you've been in the Premier League all the time, you know, and what, you haven't got much to complain about. And we understand that. Uh, we understand that compared to a lot of clubs, we've been in a good position, although we have been relegated twice mm. kind of in recent memory. But everything's relative, you know, like when you've got you've got an owner where there's kind of a real lack of ambition and it's just hope. There's no hope uh, for a sort of a success or a better a, the club striving to be better or ambition, you know. So that's back now. And that's what's led to this sort of wave of kind of enthusiasm. And we're not the only podcast that's kind of popped up on the back of the mm. takeover. Uh, we're kind of riding a wave at the moment. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, we'll, we'll cover the takeover a little bit later on, but let's talk about the season so far. So Newcastle sitting 10th after seven games. Yeah. Uh, got one win, five draws and a loss, uh, mm-hmm. eight goals scored, seven conceded. How do yeah. you see the season so far? Because you, you're sitting, you know, perfectly midway. Um, yeah. And looking at the fixtures as well, you've had some really tough fixtures against City and uh, and Liverpool, which you yeah. sort of expect to get nothing out of. And then you've had fixtures against the bottom of the table as well. So, yeah, give, give me your read on the on the season so far. Yeah, in terms of results, it's been a little bit below par. I think there was a lot of expectation, a lot of excitement going into this season because of the way we finished last season, which is where we had we basically had Champions League form for the for the second part of the season. We were in the top three or four on the form table, but that was kind of unsustainable. The the underlying numbers didn't show that we were you know we were winning games that we wouldn't necessarily have won usually. Um, this season, we started really well with a win against Nottingham Forest and what, what was quite a difficult uh, first game against a newly promoted club. Um, so that was that was a good start. But like you said, we haven't won, won any games since then. Um, there's been, there should have been six draws, but Liverpool scored against us in the, the very last minute. It was actually past the last minute of what should have been injury time. Um, So that would have been six draws and undefeated. So we've played well. The performances have been quite good. Um, We've we've lost some key players through injury as well over the time. So we've we've had Bruno and Saint-Maximin and Wilson have all been out at different times. Um, But we've been unlucky with some decisions through the uh, the VAR as well and through officiating. And I, I'm not a supporter who likes complaining about that all the time because I think every club gets benefits from it and, you know, gets drawbacks from it at times. But there has been, there certainly has been occasions where we've felt hard done by with that. Um, we, we should probably be maybe four, maybe four or five points better off than what we are. Um, but the underlying numbers in terms of the chances created and the possession have all been good. We've started dominating the ball much more, which we never used to do. So we're going through a tran- transition from being a counter-attacking, defensive counter-attacking team to being a team that's got possession and got a lot of the ball. And that's difficult. That's a difficult thing to try and do while still getting wins. So 
there's still the enthusiasm around the club. There's still the excitement. Uh, we need a couple of wins to really get the season up and running. But when you've been through last season was such a massive roller coaster where we didn't win a game until December. Uh, and then we felt like we couldn't lose a game uh, for the second half of the season. So just to have some kind of uh, stability and a sense that we're probably not going to be in a relegation battle. Uh, we need a couple of players probably, or we need our best players back certainly to push for the top six or the top eight. Um, but we're happy with how things are going this season in terms of performances, if not quite yet in points just yet. So, yeah, like you said, um, you had a few players coming in as well at the start of the season. So uh, walk me through your transfers that came in and how it sort of changed the way you guys are playing this year. Yeah, so first off in January, there was a huge, um, there was a huge desperate cash splurge uh, after the new owners came in because the squad was not really fit for purpose. It had been neglected for quite a few years. So the January transfer window was important because, first of all, Kieran Trippier came in, who's like a phenomenal footballer. He's, he's the best right back that I've seen in 30 years at, at St. James's Park. Mm. And he was injured for part of last season as well. Um, so he came in and then Chris Wood was, was a desperation signing because Callum Wilson got injured and Dwight Gale wasn't up to it. Uh, but it weakened a relegation rival and he's played his part, although he hasn't scored the goals he would have hoped to. Um, and then Matt Target was a good loan signing, which has now been made permanent. I think he's played for Fulham previously. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we had him uh, in the championship and then opted not to sign him uh, because I think it was he was at Southampton. They were asking for 20 mil for him. And we yeah. just said, no, nah, can't afford that. Not, not yeah. worth 20 mil. He's a great player, but he wasn't worth 20 mil that season, at least. Solid, solid Premier League standard yeah. left back uh, he's and, and he's filled a problem p- position for us where we've had injury prone players previously so he came on loan and that's been made permanent Dan yeah. Byrne is another one who played for Fulham he yep. was uh, he was probably he probably played centre-back mainly for Fulham did he he did yeah so he went when he was at Brighton he was kind of converted into sort of the tallest left back you've ever seen <laughs> uh, and he was doing well for Brighton he's a he's a Geordie boy so he he came he came home in a way um interesting career path for him but mm. 13 million for someone who's that comfortable on the ball as a centre-back was really good business mm. and then Bruno Guimaraes is just a supreme footballer uh, yep. Brazilian international head and shoulders the best player on the pitch most times he played for us and he he added goals he scored five goals as well so that was that was January so that set us up and we, we were kind of building that defensive base which is what the club identified they needed to do um, and then it came to the summer and we brought in Nick Pope uh, from Burnley. So that was a good, solid, solid England international yep. Premier League standard goalkeeper. Um, and there was Sven Botman, who was a young 22-year-old defender from the French League, from Lille, where he won the league a few years ago. Um, he's really comfortable on the ball. Just You can just tell he's a big, strong, he's just a good good footballer as well as a good defender. Um and there was who else was there? Um, I'm trying to think who else there was. This well, Isak is surely the big one. Isak, Isak came late, yeah. So he was the oh, there was Target on a permanent, and then there was Isak, yeah. So Isak was signed because uh, Callum Wilson got injured again, which is a, a common theme. Callum Wilson gets mm. injured, he's a good player, but he gets injured. And then Isak, we'd been interested in earlier in the earlier in the summer, uh, but we're apparently put off by his asking price. 
But I think that injury to Wilson and the fact we, we needed more firepower anyway, and they've gone and spent 60 million on Isak. Um, he's scored two goals in three games so far, although he's looked a little bit isolated at times. Uh, and he's trying to, to get in tune with the way the, the team plays. Um, but that was it. We've, we've committed to a total of about 210 million transfer fees spend in that period of time, which is, you know, it's an absolute overhaul of what was a, a squad that needed that. And we, there's still a couple of weaknesses in like the creative attack in midfield and the wide attacking positions as well, which just shows you, you spend that much money and you do that well in the transfer market. And there's still gaps where you need to, to be spending yeah. a bit extra, but that'll come in the next few transfer windows. Yeah. I mean, as, as Fulham fans, we've seen that as well. You know, the season we came up, we spent 120 mil, uh, went straight back down again. This year, we've we've been a lot more careful with our spending, and we've been much smarter with our spending the last few years. And but it's it's good, like you say uh, about Gamares as well coming in. Like when you start to see some proper decent players playing for your club, it's a breath of fresh air because you know, especially as we spent time in the championship, you've seen championship players who are hard as nails and do the job. Yeah. But you see someone come in with that touch of class that you haven't seen for years at the club. It's yeah. it's really good to see it. It makes watching football enjoyable again. And the, and the thing that happened as well was that Eddie Howe has got the best out of players that were already there. So you had John Joe Shelby, who really turned his performances <coughs> around. Fabian Scher at the back, he started playing really well. Emil Kraft, who is the Swedish backup right back, he started playing really well when everyone thought he was a lost cause. But the biggest one has been Joe Linton, who was signed as a £40 million striker and couldn't get a tune out of him at all when he was up front. He looked so bereft of confidence. And then he's been turned into a genuinely brilliant central midfielder who sort of wins the ball, progresses it forward. Um, so it's the it's the coaching that Howe has done as well has been just as important as any signings that they've made. And that's why he's been such a good appointment as manager as well. Yeah, I think, you know, Eddie Howe's surely a future England manager in the making. Um, I, I think that was probably one of Newcastle's smartest decisions was bringing him in um, because you know that he's going to get the best out of his squad, ask for the right players as well. And, and hopefully you guys aren't just going to splash cash on, you know, big names. He's asking for the right people to be in, in and around the squad to strengthen where you need to strengthen. Um, yeah. He, he's been very clear all along about character as well. So the guys mm. like Target and Byrne and Chris Wood and, um, They've all been they've all been Eddie Howe signings, and everyone at the club. We, we talked about this on the podcast we did, which was um, sort of talking about a year of the owners. But everyone at the club, there's a strategy in place, and everyone at the club is aligned to that, and including the first team coach Eddie Howe, and then the other executive appointments they've made are all pulling in the same direction, and you can see that in the transfer strategy, um, which is a very uh, unusual thing for Newcastle fans after. Mm. 14, 15 years of Mike Ashley, who uh, just left left the entire running of the club up to one guy who basically did everything, uh, where the bottom line was the most important thing. So it's all taken a bit of getting used to for us, um, but we're not complaining about any of it at all. We're very pleased with how things have been going. And the transfer business just has been very, seems to have been very, very good so far. You've, you've, You've transformed, I, I like this stat, we'd signed a goalkeeper and four defenders for the same price as Man United played, paid for Harry Maguire. 
<laughs> so that shows you the the kind of um it probably says more about their transfer strategy than it does True. Newcastle's. <laughs> but um that shows you that there's been like a considered balanced um approach to it, which seems to be paying dividends so far. Yeah, it's a nice change. And you know, you you obviously hope as a Newcastle fan that things go in a similar direction to Leicester, for example, when they had some money come in and they they spent smart rather than just spending crazy and created something and created a culture as well that got them that that Premier League win. Yeah, and it's the way it has to be because our owners and Eddie Howe have been very um, consistent in talking about financial fair play as well. We, that There are restrictions in place now which weren't in place when Chelsea, back when Abramovich took them over, and Manchester City, when they had their takeover, that weren't in place then in terms of financial fair play. And Newcastle's commercial revenue has stagnated for 15 years. So clubs like Man United and Liverpool and Manchester City now have got such vast spending power because they've got so much commercial income coming in. And they also they also do player turnover. They they do player turnover really well. So they end up getting academy players that they can sell for, you know, 10 million plus. They don't they were nowhere near the first team. And then that gets reinvested into the first team. So it's it's a long road to get to where clubs like that are, uh, and there are roadblocks in the way. But this is the way it has to be. But I think it's the way it should be anyway for sustainable football yeah. clubs. Like I, I didn't want us to be going signing Neymar and Ronaldo. It's just fantasy nonsense, really. You know, you mm. you want your club to be built sustainably um, over time. And so so if one person leaves, or if the owners decide that they're don't want to bankroll it anymore so the whole the whole thing doesn't just fall apart you know which I mean look at Leicester now like they're having trouble at the moment because they've maybe overspent in previous years yeah um, and the owners don't want to keep bankrolling and you, owners can't keep bankrolling to an extent as well because of financial fair play so it's very mm. com- complicated territory to navigate so I guess we're talking about the the change of ownership now so we may as well focus on a little bit anyway um how many years until Newcastle win the Premier League? <laughs> well, the owners said that the owners said they were quoted when they first came in. This was this is Staveley and Gudusi who own a ten percent stake. Mm. So that there's eighty percent owned by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, which um, is the Saudi state. Which you know, uh, the the Premier League. It was to do with piracy. Why they weren't letting the takeover go through, and it it's just so obvious that that was why it was. But then they said that it was to do with uh, separation between the Saudi state and the public investment fund, which anybody with half a brain can tell you there is no separation. You know, it's the same. Yeah. And then there's 10% the Ruben family and 10% Amanda Stavely and Gudusi. Stavely and Gudusi have been the ones who've done most of the media stuff and they were the ones who really pushed for the deal. So yeah. Getting back to your question, they said that within five years, Newcastle should be able to push for the Premier League title, which I don't know if they just said that because they were excited at the time. Uh, I think that's very, very ambitious, but you'll see what Leicester did and you never know. Um, so I, I've said for my whole life, I'm 36 now and I've said forever, I just want us to see us win one one trophy in my lifetime I don't care if it's the League Cup the FA Cup I just want one trophy and I'll die a a happy Newcastle supporter but that I'll probably change as things progress if the club goes where we where we hope it's going to go but I think it's going to be a long-term project to get us anywhere near sort of competing to win 
league titles uh if and it's going to take a lot of good decisions and it's going to take a lot of good luck as well mm. and a massive effort to to break into that cozy club of the elite uh who've got all the money and who've got the champions league football yeah yeah absolutely um so what was the sort of general consensus around the change of ownership because obviously it could be seen as slightly controversial um from from a newcastle fan perspective how did you guys all see that and and what was the sort of general chit chat going on around twitter and around the people that you know well the takeover had dragged on for about 18 months or so so there was mm. there was times previously where it looked like it might happen um, the main feeling when the takeover happened was just relief that Mike Ashley had sold. So that That's was true. Yeah. That, that that was what all of the jubilation and the celebration that people saw on the TV. That's what that was about. Um, the the identity of the Saudi involvement raises problems, um, and I think it's something that Newcastle fans have to get used to um, accepting that there's going to be criticism, there's going to be questions about it. Personally, I think I don't think nation states should be allowed to own football clubs. I think it's obscene. Um, but at the same time, there's so much money, dirty money, swashing around football as it is. Um, the the cat out of the bag on that one. So at the end of the day, like Newcastle supporters, just like any supporters, are just football fans. Like we we don't ask to be involved in geopolitics, or mm. we we don't. We, we, we don't know about human rights in Saudi Arabia. Like we, we know that it's not good uh, and it, we can call that out. Um, we, we accept that this is probably what you would call a sports washing project where a, a nation state is trying to use sport um, in terms of generating soft power, which is what the Abu Dhabi group has done with Manchester City as well. So I think football fans will always jump on the defensive when their club is attacked uh, and it and it, it happens in flashpoints through the season as well where Eddie Howe gets asked questions about it um, when a lot of the national journalists throughout the game um, which happened at Chelsea last season so mm. I think we just have to accept that's what that's where it is um, but yeah I mean at the end of the day the main thing was get was getting rid of Mike Ashley and then all of a sudden we became the by far the richest entity in the in the history of any sports um, mm-hmm. sort of club or franchise ever. Um, so obviously the money is going to help us to to succeed. Hopefully in the long term. Um, yeah, it's 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 football and it's sports fans, yeah. uh, and that's the way yeah. that's the way that most fans I think view it now. Like as I said, I don't think nation states should be allowed to own football clubs, but they are, and then they've they've bought my club. So, so like, if people want to take kind of a moral stand about it and stop supporting the club, or then that's fine. That's a, that's up to them. But I don't think that's realistic for the vast majority of supporters who work through the week. They just want to go to the match, or they just want to connect with fans and you know do something they've loved doing for their whole life. So that's kind of the the situation at the moment. Um, but I think we'll have to not be prickly when questions get asked. We'll have to accept that that's going to happen and understand that. It comes with the with the price of having this this Saudi money washing around the club all of a sudden. Yeah, absolutely. Good answer as well. Uh, anyway, well, let's move away from that now and onto something a little bit more uh, uh, exciting. The game this weekend uh, off the back of an international break. 
Um, first thoughts, how do you see this one going? Well, this is going to be an interesting game because Fulham, as you know, have been in really good form. Uh, I know that Fulham have scored a lot of goals, um, but they've quite conceded quite a few goals as well. Uh, Mitrovic, our old friend Mitrovic, is absolutely, he really is on fire. He's got, I think, five goals this season after scoring an obscene amount of goals in the championship last season. Um, I think, I actually think this game might suit us better than what Bournemouth the Bournemouth game did, which we drew at home because they sat in and they defended really deep. And like I was saying before, our our team at the moment is not accustomed to having to try and break teams down like that. So I think if Fulham come at us a bit at the cottage, which is probably likely, I think that could leave space for us to get in and get in behind them uh, at the back. Um, but the, it's, a, it's a really difficult game, I think, to predict. I think there'll be goals in the game. Um, and I just hope for our for our sake that we we get a win because we we need we need to get a win to get get the points rolling rolling again. Um, it, I could see I could see any result of this game. I could see a comfortable Fulham win. I could see a, a draw, or I could see a comfortable Newcastle win. Nothing nothing would surprise me with it. Um, I I trust that I know that Eddie Howe will have a plan for this, and he's had he's had long enough to prepare for it. Um, we're still sweating on the fitness of a few of our key players. Um, if St. Maximan was playing, he's he's been in good form before he got injured. This is the kind of game where he might have space to run at fullbacks, which which he could cause problems in. There's a suggestion he might be fit to play part of the game, um, but we don't know which strike is going to be fit because Chris Wood came back from international duty with a rib injury as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, it could go. It really could go anyway, and I think it would be an exciting game to watch at uh, midnight for me. It'd be ten o'clock for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say there's a few injuries floating around for you guys. So, Sam Maximan, I heard that. Well, the last I heard was Eddie Howe saying that it might be a little longer than expected. But obviously, after the international break, everything changes because you get a couple of weeks off. Um, <clears throat> and then Isak and is Callum Wilson fit as well? Callum Wilson got injured in the Man City game. And this is what this is what happens with Wilson. He plays really well, he scores goals, and he just gets injured. Um, yeah. So he got injured in the Man City game, which is quite a while ago now, and he's missed, I think, three or four games. So he is apparently nearing fitness, but they've said that about him before, and he's been out for... They're, they're quite cagey with his fitness. They're, I think maybe just because they don't know sometimes as well. His body is not reliable. So it seems like Wilson could be fit to play some part in it. I've just seen today that Isak is apparently going to be injured. He went away to on international duty with Sweden, uh, mm. and then he's come back with an injury, so he's going to be out for a few weeks. Saint Maximan might be fit to play a part, but again, we don't we don't know about that yet. Um, mm. And Bruno has been away. He he also has been on international duty, but he also got injured. But the, the the news today seems to be that he might be available to play. Um, yeah, okay. So it's going to be a very different game if any of those key players for us are are fit and are, are able to play. Because um, if and yeah, Chris Wood got a knock as well when he was playing. He every time he does international duty, he has to fly to the other side of the world where we are to play yep. for New Zealand. <laughs> so, um, two games as well over in New Zealand, ridiculous. So he got he got a, he got a rib injury. Um, so I'm not sure who Joe Linton might have to play up front if that if we've got no fit strikers. But mm. um, but yeah, it's going to be a different game if we've got those players fit. I think a couple of them will be fit to play a part, and Isak definitely won't be. 
but we'll just have to see what happens. We'll we'll learn more when Eddie does his press conference, probably on Friday. Yeah. So for obviously hard to say with injuries, but who is going to be the game changer for Newcastle? Who's going to win you guys the game? Uh, I would say that if he's fit, St. Maximan has been in really good. Well, you say he's been in good form. He played out of his out of the world against Man City, which he can do every now and then. He played really well against Wolves and scored the goal of the month. Um, but then he's been injured since then. But he, when he's playing well, he's he's unplayable. The defenders don't know what to do with him. Um, he it can be very frustrating at times as well, though, where he goes missing for large portions of games. But if he's fit, I think that will give everybody a, a real boost. Uh, he could be the game, the game changer. And if if Bruno's fit in the midfield, then he he'll just do it sort of consistently over the whole game, where he just tends to control control possession, control the tempo of the game. Um, Trippier, I talked about him before, but for, mm-hmm. I've never seen a right back do what he does sometimes, which is completely control the game from that position. It was a game we had against Everton last season, and he, obviously he's good at free kicks, but he kind of like his game management in that position is fantastic. So he could be a game changer. And then we've got a wild card, a young lad called Elliot Anderson, who's a homegrown boy from the academy. He's only 19. Uh, he's been getting increasingly more minutes off the bench lately. He's really skillful. Uh, he's got a lot, a lot about him. He was on loan in League Two at Bristol Rovers last season. And he scored a lot of goals for them at the age of 19. So he was injured for the Bournemouth game, but he should be back now. And he's probably a wild card off the bench to watch out for if he comes on. Yeah, okay. I'd say it's interesting you pick Trippier as one because I'd say our left side is probably our weaker side at the moment, especially with a couple of injuries that we've got. Um, It's definitely defensively our weaker side. So I, I think you're right that if Trippier sort of starts to control the game from there, uh, there's going to be a lot of chances coming from from that right side for you guys. Um, mm. Could could be very interesting to see how that goes. I think it'll be a basketball kind of game. Like I, yeah. I just I've got that feeling it's going to be back and forth, and we're going to have to try and control the game for in the midfield, which is. But like I said, th- this game is going to suit us better than if a team just sits in and defends, which is what uh, a bit like what Crystal Palace did and what Bournemouth did as St James's, and they both got draws. So it's going to be a very different uh, and I think it'll be an entertaining game for the neutral. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Fulham approach this game. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Jao Palinha, who's been our absolute shining star, mm. has managed to pick up five bookings in seven games and so gets himself suspended for this week, um, right, okay. which is a, a massive loss for us because he he's um, I think he's completed more tackles than anyone else He's doubled the amount of tackles that anyone else in the Premier League has this season so far. Yeah. Um, and he has been the reason, even though we've managed to concede 12 goals so far this year, uh, he has just shielded the defence and stopped everything from getting through. So uh, missing him this week is a big one. And I don't personally know how Fulham are going to plug that gap because it's a massive gap. Um, mm. So it's going to be really interesting. I, I'm not sure that we will be quite as attacking as we have been uh, throughout the season so far, I reckon we could actually sit a little bit deeper than we have done previously because of that loss, because we know that, um, you know, we, we're not going to have that protection that we've had done, that we've had so far all season. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see, but I think you're right. It's going to be a bit of a ping pong game where the ball's just flying back and forth and there's going to be chances and definitely goals. 
and when you've got Mitrovic as well. So Mitrovic, when he was with Newcastle, was uh, he he was he was badly disciplined. He couldn't. Oh, yeah. uh, he kept getting himself sent off, and he when Benitez came in, it wasn't really a good ma- good fit in terms of manager with player. Uh, he didn't like his sort of. Um, He's a bit of a maverick. He, he did his own thing even more when he was a bit younger. He, he was a hothead and he got sent off. But I think that his quality has never been in doubt. Uh, he's Before he signed for Newcastle, he was scoring in the Champions League for Anderlecht. Mm. Um, he's obviously a big fan favourite uh, because of the way he plays. And I've been impressed with how how more mobile he's, he seems to be. He seems to be much more fit now. He's, what, 27, 28? So he's probably in his 28, prime. yeah. He's, he's definitely shifted a bit of weight in the last couple of years. And you, you you notice that he's a lot quicker on the ball. He used to be, he'd get the ball and you just know he's not going to outrun anyone. Mm. It's all about, uh, you know, strength and positioning for him so far. But he's he's definitely improved that side of his, that physical side of his game where he has a little bit of extra pace and a um, little bit extra sharpness. And he's he's got better with his feet as well. He used to be not very good with his passing, I'd say. His first touch wasn't wonderful. Um, but we've we've really seen him come on massively in terms of setting people up with big through balls and balls over the top. It's been uh, for us. I mean, it's been very um, amazing. We've seen him yeah. score forty nine goals in forty nine games for us. And then <sighs> I don't know if you saw against Isak and Sweden, he scored a hat trick the other night. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's only one goal behind Haaland for this calendar year so far. So, I mean, he's he's he is on fire. Um, yeah. And sides have just struggled to contain him so far. And it was always going to be, can he do it in the Premier League? And fortunately for us, so far, he showed that he can. Um, it's about if he can keep that up consistently now because yeah. people will start to work him out soon enough. Well, he, he, last time he was in the Premier League with Fulham, I saw he only scored three goals, but that was in a pretty poor team. And they were goals were towards the start of the season as well, weren't they, I think, but... Before that, he scored, I think he scored nine league goals in the Premier League and I think 11 another time as well. So, yeah. like, that's that's decent return for a striker. It's, yeah, you know? it's not bad. I, I don't think uh, I don't think he can be filed with, like, Dwight Gale or players like Cameron Jerome, who are too good for the Championship but not good enough for the Premier League. I think he's yeah. always had that quality. He just needs a system to fit around him and a manager that believes in him. And when he gets that, like, you know, if you've got someone scoring that many goals in the league last season, why would you not just keep doing what you're doing to to feed him to, to get those goals? Yep. So he's definitely a player that we are um, will be very mindful of. Um, I think Sven Botman's a really big, uh, tall, strong defender, so we might end up putting him on Mitro and see if he can neutralise him a bit. But it'll be really a real battle and it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Keep an eye on um, uh, Kieran, Kieran Trippier because Mitro's big thing this season has been peeling off the back, yeah, effectively marking the right back and just dominating these, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, yeah. <laughs> right backs in the air and just nodding them in from the back post. So that's that's definitely the way it's happened so far. And in doing so as well, he's pulled those big centre-backs out of position because those mm. guys try and man-mark him get pulled with him and we've actually seen him be a little bit more of a team man this year and he's he's got six but we've scored 13 so far which is you know pretty good for us uh, and the fact that he's not our only source of goals is mm. something we're kind of astounded by because he was basically it last year yeah um, yeah 
And he missed, so, his, pen- he missed his penalty at Wolves as well, which would have yeah. uh, given him another one. Yeah, so uh, I think it's going to be a really exciting game. Um, so in terms of how how do Fulham beat Newcastle? I don't think Marco Silva's listening, so you're going to be safe. <laughs> um, well, it's hard to beat Newcastle. We've we've only lost once this season, and like I said, that was to a 98th minute equaliser in the 90 uh, in the 95th. No, a 90. Yeah, it was it, they scored in the 98th minute of what should have been 95 minutes. Yeah, um, rough. So that was rough. So and even last season, I mean, at St James's Park, only City and Liverpool beat us, um, and our away form was really good as well towards the end of last season. So I think to beat us, I think Mitrovic is gonna is gonna be a big part of that. Like I'm 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 worried about the prospect of him jumping on Kieran Trippier, who is already two times bigger than. <laughs> so that'll be one way, um, but. I think Newcastle kind of can lack pace at the back as well with the centre-backs, something that maybe won't be an issue with Mitrovic. But if you can get runners um, coming in, like you were saying with Mitrovic playing through balls to uh, to midfielders or to the wide players, then that could be an avenue as well. Um, but Newcastle are solid, solid at the back. Mm. Um, if Fulham wanted to try and do what, what Bournemouth did, they would be sitting in defensively and frustrating Newcastle, not letting us get chances on goal. Um, giving us a bit more of the ball, we don't really know what to do with it too well. Um, so that I think that's a way that it could go. But yeah, it's really difficult to know how this game's gonna gonna go. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised by any by any scoreline. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about the lack of pace at the back from Newcastle. Not not serious lack of pace, but if there was a weakness, that would be the one that you picked out. Uh, and I don't know if you saw we signed Dan James as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Just uh, at the very end of the transfer window. And uh, just he hasn't really managed to get on the field much for us. He's played a couple of substitute appearances of, you know, 15 minutes or so. But you can already see the danger there if he gets in behind. He is mm. blisteringly fast. Um, mm. I've, I've not seen much of him live before. And now being able to see him each week, you can see that could easily be something that, maybe Marco Silva actually picks up on and goes, this is the week to to give Dan James his first start and see if we can mm. get in behind. Um, it's yeah. funny. It's like football managers are so clever. Like, I, and I, I realise this sometimes when I go on Twitter and look at kind of tactics analysis or the athletics good with that as well. Mm. And you just realise like they think like it's like a chess match. So they're thinking steps and steps and steps ahead. And, and as a fan, like I, I just watch, you just watch the ball basically. Oh, yeah. um, but the, the managers like have a plan and they, they've got, they've got a backup plan. The good managers have got a backup plan if the original plan doesn't work and they've got different plans for different phases of the game as well. Um, like Newcastle against Manchester City, which is a really good performance from us. We pressed really, really high and really quick. That's been a feature. So if mm. Fulham can, if Fulham can somehow beat the press, uh, we've got Almiron and Fraser will probably play who are quick um, sort of hard working players they're not great with end product but they'll press they'll run all day so if Fulham can play around that and beat that then that could be a way of um, getting on the front foot as well yeah but- it's not something we're great at either I'd say if you guys are pressing our defenders they're not bad with the ball at feet but they've been known to make a few mistakes and be a little bit slow sometimes so um it wouldn't surprise me if we conceded to pressing because I think we already have done this season so far. Um, yeah. So definitely and, uh, one to look out for, yeah. 
and the thing with Eddie Howe, like you know that he'll be planning this and he'll know what he'll he'll have analyzed all of the goals that Fulham have conceded this season so far, all of the goals they've scored, and they'll have a mm. they'll have a plan for how to try and but then Marcus Silva seems like a good manager as well, who'll be doing the mm. same thing. So that's why it'll be an interesting kind of tactical, uh, tactical battle as well. Yeah, definitely. So look, um, Jack, before we wrap up, I have to push you for a prediction for the game, mate. What are we what are we saying? <laughs> this is a, it's really hard. I think I'm gonna say that I feel like we were due a win and our underlying numbers have been good. With what you're saying about the your key player missing as well in the midfield, I didn't know about that. So I think mm. that's gonna be important. So I and we've got quite a good record recently at Craven Cottage as well. So I can see is going for uh Fulham have been involved in a few 3-2s I've noticed this season so I'm going to go yep. for a 3-2 three, three win for Newcastle this time Nice one Well, awesome to talk to you Jack Thank you so much for, for joining me tonight and uh, looking forward to the game I'm sure we'll touch base during the game or after the game and uh, uh, yeah, hopefully talk again sometime later during the season for the reverse fixture Absolutely, no worries, thanks very much Awesome, thanks mate Cheers